whatever you've done this week. Uh, I'm so happy for all of you who are a part of this journey with us. And uh, if you are not on this 21 days of prayer and fasting journey with us, or maybe it's your first time here, you weren't here last week. If you don't have one of these prayer guides, our ushers are coming through the aisles right now. If you'll just lift your hand, they'll grab, uh, they'll see you, and they'll give you one of these. These are also available online on the website or on the app. So if you don't have one, we want to make sure everybody gets one of these and uh, they're available out at the uh, Welcome Center as you come in. I want to share with you real quick what we're going to be doing this week as we head into week two of our prayer and fasting and reading the Word. Last week, our prayer points focused on the Hear His Heart portion of our Love Your City vision. Uh, this coming week, we will be focusing on the Show His Love portion of our Love Your City vision. And so let's take a look at these on the screen. Tomorrow, we will be praying our Eyes Up theme over you and your family. On Tuesday, we'll be praying for spiritual maturity, boldness, discernment, and that we stand for biblical truth in a woke culture. Is that something we should be praying for? It sure is. On Wednesday, we're going to pray for Love Your City. Our Love Your City Sunday is on May 19th this year, and uh, we'll pray for our projects and new and existing opportunities this year. Thursday, we'll be praying for the protection of the unity of our church, family, fellowship, and mission. You've heard me say often that God has blessed our church with a season of unity and uh, fellowship and focus, and uh, we want to pray that God keeps us focused on the main thing. Amen? On Friday, we're going to be praying for salvation of the lost, the return of the prodigals, marriages and families, and this is a good time for me to remind you that our marriage weekend is February 2nd and 3rd. We have 60 spots available for 60 couples. It's filling up quickly, so you can go to the website and make sure you, uh, you register for that. Saturday, we'll be praying for jobs, finances, and generosity, and wise stewardship of people and finances. And next Sunday, we will be praying for next steps for our physical growth, including new facilities, parking, and campus development and pray for direction as this year we believe we're going to, I don't know if we'll put a shovel on the ground this year, but we are already in the very early stagings of a building program and a fundraising campaign. And if you've been around here the last few weeks, you know we need to do something. Amen. So we're going to pray as a part of our 21 days of prayer and fasting and ask the Lord to lead us in everything we do. I don't want to take one step without him being out in front. Tomorrow night, we will have prayer here in the uh, Family Life Center, in the Youth Movement Worship Center, and in the uh, YMCC classroom at 6.30. Last week, we prayed in Kid City, so join us tomorrow night for Monday night prayer. And then on Wednesday night, my, 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 last Wednesday night, I talked to last Sunday about how many records we've been setting I think last Wednesday night we set another record for the most people here on a Wednesday night. We had well over 300 people here on a Wednesday night. And if you're not here, you're missing out. So get your behind here on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. I'll just say it plain. We had an incredible time of worship. We brought our adults and our teens and our young adults together 
for a time of worship at 7 o'clock, and then the teens went their way, and the young adults went their way, and the adults stayed in here, and uh, Brad Thornton is doing an incredible job teaching us a series called Renewing Your Mind. We had a, had a great series opening that last week, and so we want you to be a part of all that God's doing during these 21 days of prayer and fasting. Jensen Franklin said it like this, don't stop when you're tired, stop when you're done. And I'm sure you've already got tired of beans and rice this week, or tired of not having your coffee, or physically tired because your body's detoxing. Don't stop when you're tired, stop when you're done. You got 14 days left, and you will make it. As a way to kind of encourage us through this season, and uh, and to, and to just give a punch to our Eyes Up theme, we have new merch that's going to be on sale between the services, and uh, we also have some new stickers. These stickers are free. They're in the merch area, these Eyes Up stickers and these stickers for your car. One rule with this sticker for the car, if you don't drive like Jesus, don't put RCOG on your car. <laughs> Enough said. <laughs> I also want to tell you, some of you are like, I better take mine off now, <laughs> or fast and pray over my driving. Hey, I also want to tell you that um, our services are now on YouTube. We've, uh, we've been trying to move to that for a while now, and uh, we've been on live streaming Facebook for a while. YouTube gives us so many more eyes and options on, on all streaming devices, and so if you know somebody who's not been able to get the service Starting last Sunday, our services are now on YouTube, and that's pretty cool. Because I know what all of you do at 9 o'clock. It's such a great service. You can't wait to go home and watch it again while you're eating beans and, beans and rice, right? So here we go. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12 and uh, put our verse up on the, on the screen for us, Jack. This is our theme verse for our series. I want everybody to read it out good and loud this morning together. Here we go. We must keep our eyes on Jesus, who leads us and makes our faith complete. He endured the shame of being nailed to a cross because he knew later on he would be glad he did. Now he is seated at the right side of God's throne. So keep your mind on Jesus, who put up with many insults from sinners then you won't get discouraged and give up. Father, as we open your word today, we pray, God, that you would anoint us to hear, anoint me to speak. And Lord, I pray that what is shared today, God, would find good soil, deep root, and produce a lasting harvest. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
So last week we began not only our 21 days of prayer and fasting, we started and launched our theme for the year, which as you see is Eyes Up. And we're talking all month long about how we can live in a posture and in a perspective and a pursuit of Jesus that is just that, an Eyes Up position. We began last week by looking at the word posture and we learned how implementing the spiritual disciplines of fasting and the word and prayer, posture, our will, and our mind, and our hearts. Let's say this again. This was our theme, I'm sorry, our points from last week, and they should be points that encourage us and carry us throughout the fast. So let's say them all together today. We posture our will through fasting. We posture our mind through the Word, and we posture our heart through prayer. And here's what we've learned in our church the last six years as we've started the year with 21 days of prayer and fasting, that these three elements carry within themselves specific, powerful, spiritual results. And as we read the Word, and as we pray, and as we fast over the next 21 days, you are positioning yourself to see God answer your prayers throughout the year. I ran into somebody in Food Line on Friday afternoon, and I asked them how the fast was going. They began to share with me an incredible miracle that God did in their life last year as a result of the fast. And they stood there between the, the potatoes and the onions and looked at me and said, I know that the answer came because of fasting and prayer. And I said, praise God for the Lord right here in the food line. When we fast and we pray and we read the word, we are unlocking the principle that Jesus taught us in Matthew 6, and that is seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So today, we're going to continue our series by discovering what it means to live with an eyes up perspective. Everybody say perspective. Perspective is our word for the day, and that's what we're going to be leaning in on, and Perspective is defined as a mental attitude, a particular way of, of viewing something. Uh, it's, uh, it's your outlook. It's your viewpoint. It's your attitude. It's your mindset. That is your perspective. I was thinking this week about some examples of what, uh, what some perspectives might be that kind of test our perspective. And I thought about this. I don't remember when I first heard about it, maybe in school or college at some point. Anybody know what the, I don't even know if I'll say this right, the, the Rorschach test is. It's probably the most disturbing thing we'll ever put on the screen. Here it is. Now you know what it is, right? You remember seeing it, this psychological thing at some point that you look at and, and you see that and the psychologist tells you that you're either messed up or okay. He'd tell me I'm messed up because I look at that and I'm like, that's disturbing. I don't know what that ink blot is. I don't see butterfly. I see moth that's been crushed by a dump truck. I don't know what I see there. Maybe something that fits a little bit more is, is this image right here. When you see this glass, we would say we would see it in one of two ways. We either see it as half full or half empty. Now, the people who are the empty people said empty first, gotcha. 
the people who are the full people said full first. And that, that is your perspective. You, you see that glass is half full or half empty. My dad used to have a saying when it came to perspective that he would tell us as kids, as teenagers, when we had to do things or go places that we didn't want to do or go. And he would say, all right, listen, you got to get your mind right. Get your mind right. I don't know if anybody else's dad said that, but you got to get your mind right because I know you don't want to go to this wedding or this funeral or this family reunion. I know you don't want to deal with this situation, but you got to get your mind right. And what's funny is what goes around comes around. Some of y'all know my mom and dad broke some bones within a week of each other back in, back in November, and I had to call my dad and tell him, all right, you remember what you told me all these years? You better get to the doctor. you got to get your mind right. And, uh, and that saying kind of leans into this idea when it comes to our perspective and, and that our, our mindset and our attitude is so important with how we connect with Christ. As I was thinking about this the other day, about perspective and, and having a positive mindset, I couldn't help but think about Love Your City Sunday 2023 and how we showed up here on a Sunday ready to work and we walked into this place. It was pouring rain when we came in, and 375 people filled this, this church in the middle of May last year and went out, and we, we didn't. We showed up at 8 o'clock on a Sunday morning. If you're new to our church, we didn't have church that morning. We went out, and we were the church, and we spread out all over this county, and we served at schools and ministries and anywhere where we could find a need, and, and we did it all in the pouring, nasty rain. And what I love about this picture is that you see people who are wet and nasty and dirty and out in the rain with raincoats on, and they still got a smile on their face. Here's what happened. Before they came to church, Brother Jimmy, they got their mind right. And they said, you know what, this ain't about me, I'll dry off, I can take a shower, but I'm going to come and serve God today. That is an eyes up perspective, amen? So this morning as we continue our eyes up series, I, I want to use a familiar example in the life of Jesus to, um, to illustrate something this morning. And if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 14, and we're just going to camp out there this morning. If you've got your, your Bibles or something with your Bible on it. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 14 this morning, and, um, and here's, here's what we're going to do. We're going to read this story of, um, of Jesus walking on the water. This is one of the most um, popular stories, I suppose, in the life of Christ, and, and what we're going to do as we read this story is we're going to do a little eyes-up experiment, okay? So... Eyes up, everybody. Okay, I know you're looking for it in your Bible. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to listen to me read this story from Matthew 14. And here's your job as I read. Your job is to keep your eyes on Jesus. Okay? You know what you're supposed to do? Say it with me. Keep your eyes on Jesus. So I'm going to read the story, and your job is to keep your eyes on Jesus. Here we go, Matthew 14, 22 through 33. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And after he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. 
Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed in the boat and the wind died down, then those who were in the boat worshiped him saying, truly, you are the Son of God. How'd you do? Anybody notice any distractions this morning? Now you know how I feel. I'm just kidding. That was not the point, but it came through my mind, and I couldn't keep it in my head, and it just came out of my mouth. I apologize. All right, we're in church. You got to be honest. How many of you? How many of you stuck with it? Eyes up. You stayed on it. Okay. Wow. All right. Thank you for honesty. Uh, some of you may remember me preaching a similar message about six years ago, so you knew where we were going in this. In this, you know, this little experiment gives us an idea that we can be given instructions. We can pay close attention. We can do our best to stay focused and have our eyes up, but. Often we can find ourselves distracted by everything else going on in the world around us, right? Just like Peter was when he stepped out to walk on the water. So before we dig deep into this passage, and that's what we're going to do this morning, I want to take a few minutes and I want to show you a, a video clip from The Chosen. The Chosen Season 3, Episode 8 did an incredible job of showing us this, uh, this scene and so I want you to see this, and, and it's going to take a little bit of a setup. And by the way, if you don't know what The Chosen is, you can find it anywhere. If you're not watching it yet, I don't know what you're waiting for. It's the best thing ever done in the life of Christ. We're big chosen people here. Season four, I'll give a plug, is going to be in theaters in just a, excuse me, in just a few weeks. But in this scene that we're going to see, we're going to see the scene that we just read in Matthew 14 as it was depicted in The Chosen. Now what you have to understand when this scene begins, it comes on the heels of Jesus feeding the 5,000. You also need to understand that the, the writers of The Chosen, they've taken a little bit of liberty uh, with, with it. You know, obviously um, the, it's a television show. So they create some things that obviously are not in Scripture, but could possibly be the way things went down. For instance, Scripture tells us that Peter had a mother-in-law. Three of the four Gospels tell us that Jesus healed his mother-in-law, so we could assume he had a wife. So in the series of The Chosen, we meet Peter's wife. Her name is Eden. And they create this story that many of you can uh, relate to where Eden gets pregnant and loses the baby and all of this happens while Peter is out with Jesus and 
Peter comes home, realizes that the, he's lost the baby, and has to deal with that. Now, that's not in Scripture, but it is in the chosen. And so what you're going to see in this exchange in the scene is some fallout from that. And so uh, if you've not seen it, it's, it's on pretty much every streaming platform. So here we go. We're going to watch Matthew 14, The Chosen, Season 3, Episode 8. Bit 
I'm here. I'm always here. I let people go hungry. But I feed them. So if you have your Bible or something with your Bible on it, let's look at Matthew chapter 14. And here's what I want to do with the time we have left today. I want us to look at this passage, and I want to show you seven things. I, yes, I said seven, so I'm going to go through them quickly. Seven things that we learn from this passage that helps us to be able to live with an eyes-up perspective. And here they are. This is what we learned. Jesus led them. Jesus saw them. Jesus approached them. Jesus spoke to them. Jesus called them. Jesus saved them. And Jesus showed them. The first thing we learn in this passage is that Jesus led them. The scripture says immediately, this is right after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus made the disciples. He did what to the disciples? He made them get into the boat, and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Now again, this follows Jesus' largest miracle to date, greatest miracle, the only one recorded by all four Gospels, the feeding of the 5,000. And it tells us that Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of them to the other side. So according to the passage, what did Jesus send his disciples into 
a storm, you got it. A storm with wind so strong that the boat, verse 24 says, was buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And that word buffeted is a, the, the, the Greek word there means battered or harassed or distressed. But consider this, they were in God's perfect will and they were about to enter a perfect storm. They were in God's perfect will, yet were about to enter a perfect storm. Our key verse for this series, Hebrews 12, 1 says, we must keep our eyes on Jesus who does what? Leads us and makes our faith complete. Listen, sometimes with our eyes up on Jesus, Jesus leads us into difficult places. Why? To make our faith complete. Why would Jesus do that? Jesus does that because that's what the Father did with him through the Holy Spirit. We see in Matthew chapter 4 verse 1 that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Jesus was led by who? The Spirit. And in the same way, Jesus led his disciples into that storm in order to teach them a valuable lesson. And that's this. Obeying God can sometimes lead to rough sailing. Amen. Obeying God can sometimes lead to rough sailing. And often when we find ourselves in trials or in storms, what we ask is, God, why? Everybody say, why? why? Why is this happening to me? And why isn't always a bad question? You, you've heard me say that before. Why isn't an unbiblical question? We read the Psalms. They ask a lot of why questions, but perhaps a better question is what? God, what do you want me to teach? What do you want to teach me in this trial? What do you want me to learn? What's the purpose for this season or this situation I'm going through right now? Think about it. Without this moment, the disciples would not have seen the power of Jesus demonstrated in this way. Nor without this moment would Peter have had on his resume that he had stepped out of a boat and walked on the water. You better believe that was, that was a source of encouragement and power for him as he walked on and followed Jesus, even after Jesus was gone. You might say it like this, why, again, not a bad question, but why is more of an eyes down why did this happen? Because when I ask why, I'm asking about me. But what is a what? Eyes up. Do you see that? Do you see that this morning? Why, when we say, God, why am I going through this trial? Why am I, why am I facing this? Why am I? Hear it? Why am I? Eyes down. Look at the difference. Eyes up. What? God, what do you want to do with this trial? God, what's your purpose through this valley? God, what is it that you're trying to teach me during this time? I think about a song we've, we've sung around here over the last year, Trust in God, and there's a, there's a line in that song that says, I sought the Lord, and he heard, and he answered. Anybody remember singing that song around here? Hey, listen, I can't sing that song with truth unless I have a testimony that has come behind that song. Amen? And to have a testimony, you've got to go through a what? 
You got to go through a test if you're going to have a testimony. I like the way they, they portrayed that story because I don't know if you picked up on it. There was a lot of things in that exchange between Jesus and Peter that aren't in Scripture in Matthew 14. Most of the dialogue that went back and forth between them is found in Scripture. When Jesus looks at Peter and he says to him, these trials have a purpose, later on in the book of Peter, Peter would write this, in all this greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials, but these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith may do what? May result in the praise, glory, and honor when Christ is revealed. So in Isaac's perspective, we learn that Jesus led them. The second thing we learn is that Jesus saw them. The passage says, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside to pray by himself. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. So Jesus led them, get in the boat, go to the other side. So while all this is going on, the storm, where's Jesus? What does the scripture say? Jesus is up on a mountainside and he's praying. He's by himself in prayer. Don't miss this. Though Jesus was absent from them, he was not unmindful of their needs. Lean in. Don't miss this. Jesus, knowing all things, knew where he had sent them, why he had sent them, and how he was going to rejoin them. How is all this possible? Because Jesus, even on a mountainside praying, saw them. He knew right where they were. We read in our reading this week in Romans chapter 8 that Paul tells us that Christ, who died more than that, was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also what? Interceding for us. So I believe that when Jesus left the feeding of the 5,000, he sends the disciples across the lake. He goes to the mountainside to pray. What's he doing in his prayer? He is refueling because he has just downloaded a whole lot of glory to all these people because he has just fed 5,000 plus with five loaves and two fish. And he's getting ready for the next miracle, which is going to be to walk out on the water. And in the process, he knows because he knows everything. He knows exactly where the disciples are. And I believe, y'all, he was praying for those disciples in that moment. Knowing where they were and knowing what was going on. And he is the perfect one to do it because he's fully God and fully human. He fully understands God and he fully understood them. Jesus saw them and just like Jesus sees them in their storm, Jesus sees you in your storm. Jesus is not unaware of the storm of the battle, of the trial that he led you to right now or that he is allowing to take place in your life. But when we live with an eyes up perspective, even in our darkest moments, we can understand that Jesus sees us. Somebody repeat after me. Jesus sees me. Now you know where we're going. Say it with me. Jesus sees me. Amen. Jesus sees us. And in eyes up perspective, 
perspective says, yes, I'm in a trial, I'm in a storm, I'm in a valley, but I am not alone because Jesus is El Roy, the God who sees. Can I get an amen? So Jesus led them, Jesus saw them, Jesus then approached them. Shortly before dawn, Jesus, watch this, went out to them. Walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Jesus went to them. He went to where they were. Do not miss this. Jesus went into their storm. Jesus walked right into where they were in an unexpected, unprecedented way so they could experience him like never before. These guys have already had an incredible change in their perspective. They just saw 5,000 plus people fed by five loaves and two fish. Their faith should already be high. But how many of you know sometimes you can be riding high in your faith and an unexpected storm comes out of nowhere? And then you have to deal with that situation. But what we need to understand is that Jesus always comes to us in our storms. He may not come when we think he will or when he should, but he comes when we need him the most. And often he comes when we have left every other human prop laid to the side where the only thing we can do is get our eyes up and look to him. So I want to tell you something this morning. If you're going through a storm or you're walking through a valley or you're going through a situation, if you're not now, you will at some point in 2024, amen? You'll probably go through more than once, right? We all will. And I want to remind you today that as you walk through that storm and as you go through whatever else is coming toward you this year, don't walk with your head down. My goodness, get your head up and look and see that Jesus sees where you are and he will approach where you are. Amen? And then, what is the next thing? He led them, he saw them, he approached them, and then he spoke to them. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. They're terrified, they think it's a ghost, but immediately, look at it, immediately Jesus says to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Though short, these three sentences were packed with hope, power, and encouragement. Jesus' words, when I read that, I got, I got to thinking about how take courage. It echoes something that God the Father has been saying for the whole left side of your Bible all the way up to the time that Jesus came. It echoes Joshua 1.9. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you where, church? wherever you go. It echoes the words of Isaiah 41.10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you, you with my righteous right hand. It echoes Isaiah 42 when he says, look at this, when you pass through the what? 
the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. Jesus' command to take courage is followed by these three words. It is I. In the middle of the storm, Jesus identifies himself. He says, boys, it's me. That's South Georgia interpretation. Boys, it's me. It is I. I read this week that one commentary noted that literally that phrase could literally be translated as I am. So get this. The same one to, to these men, the same one you've seen heal the paralytic, the blind and the mute, says, it is I, I am. The same one who has cast out demons, you've already seen this, boys, it is I, I am. The same one that you just saw took five loaves and two fish and feed 5,000 plus people. It is I, I am. The great I am is now not just approaching them in their storm, but he is speaking to them in their storm. Take courage. It is I, and everybody say the next three words with me, don't be afraid. I've heard it said that in Scripture, there are 365 times that the Word says either do not be afraid or do not fear or fear not, depending upon your translation. That tells me that there's one for every day of the year. And just like Jesus spoke to his disciples during the storm, he speaks to us as well. That's why what this theme for our year is is so important that we, we get in a groove of living with our eyes up. Living in an eyes up perspective puts us in a position that in the middle of our storm, he will show up and he will speak to us. Amen. Anybody had a word come from God out of nowhere in the middle of your storm and speak to you and bring you the hope and the encouragement that you need? Can I hear a better amen this morning? Anybody cracked open the word when you didn't feel like reading and you didn't sit anything in your heart and you were doing it out of obligation but my goodness you opened God's word and there it was the word you needed for that moment something my Lord you had read hundreds of times but that day it jumped off the page at you there he is speaking to you approaching you in your storm and he says take courage it is I I am do not be afraid amen that's what it means to live with an eyes up perspective don't get your eyes. Don't you know we're real good about getting in the mully grubs. You know what the mully grubs are, right? Where I just have a pity party and I'm the one throwing the party, buying the decorations, the cake, and the food. Everybody, come on in on my pity party. That is an eyes down, me centered. Why, why, why? Grow up, get some spiritual backbone, and say, what, what, what? Lord, what do you want to teach me? What do you want to show me? What do I need to learn in this storm? And he'll show up and say, hey, I'm here. You're not walking through this thing by yourself. Amen? So Jesus led them, saw them, approached them, spoke to them. And now Jesus would call them. Verse 28 says, Peter says, Lord, if it's you, 
tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. And then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward him. So Brad was talking about this a little bit Wednesday night in our study, just the impulsiveness of Peter. I mean, we see it. He's the guy who pulls the sword out and cuts off the, the sermon of the high priest's ear you know, just a few minutes later, he can't, even, he can't even tell anybody that he's on Jesus' team. And he's cutting off ears one minute. Peter's all over the place at times before, before the resurrection and before uh, Pentecost. But in this moment, Peter's impulsiveness is on display. And he says, hey, Lord, it's really you. Tell me to come out and, and walk to you. Now, who knows what would cause Peter to say such a crazy, that's crazy, y'all. That's just crazy. In this moment, I think I'd be like, why don't you get in the boat? If it's you, get in the boat and stop this thing, man. You know, I know you fed 5,000, but we're in a mess right here, okay? But Peter's like, no, I, I, want, I want to go to him. I don't know, maybe as a, as a Jewish man, he knew God's record with water. I don't know if in that moment he was thinking Red Sea and Jordan River and, hey, God can take care of anything like this. Perhaps it was just Peter being Peter, the raw boldness that came with this man. But notice Jesus' response when, when Peter says, hey, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you. And Jesus says one word in the gospel. He says, come. And I love the fact that the writers of The Chosen, they slip in that verse from Matthew chapter 11 where Jesus says, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Hey, y'all, when Jesus shows up, listen to this. In the middle of our trial, our storm, our valley, our situation, he says to us, come. Come to me. You need rest. You're worn out. This, is, this, this thing that you're going through is kind of beating your head in. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. This also tells me something else. That sometimes Jesus is going to call us to step out of a situation that we're in. Maybe the storm we're going through and ask us to do something that's out of our comfort zone. To step into the impossible. Certainly it was the impossible and out of Peter's comfort zone as a fisherman. He knew the water. He knew how to navigate a boat. He knew how to catch fish. But he had never done anything like stepping outside of a boat and trying to walk on top of the water. And sometimes when Jesus shows up in the middle of our storm, he's calling us to something bigger and greater than ourselves to step into the impossible. And listen, as you're digging in over the next 14 days in this time of fasting, prayer, and the Word, God may lead you and quicken your spirit and begin to speak to you about stepping out and doing something that's impossible. If that's the case, eyes up. Get your eyes up. Get your perspective in place. Get ready to see what God's going to challenge you to do. I mentioned it briefly. I don't have a lot of details, but I can tell you this. In 2024, God is leading Rinkin Church of God to a place where we've got to get out of this boat because this boat is filling up. we got to get out of this boat. we got to prepare, like the man said in Jaws, we're going to need a, a bigger boat, right? Because God is sending the fish in. Oh, my goodness, that's good right there. God's sending the fish in. And we got to have a bigger boat. And that means that this year we're going to have to take some steps of faith 
We're going to have to take some steps not to just see, you know, where we are, but see where God can take us. See, I believe with all of my heart that God is doing what he's doing right now, not just to cap us at a ceiling of 500 people, but because there are people moving to this area like crazy, people who are far from God and need to know that there's a Jesus who will show up in their situation, who loved them and died for them and can transform their lives. Amen? So Jesus led them, saw them, approached them, spoke them, called them. Now Jesus would save them. Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, came toward Jesus. But when, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid. He began to sing. He cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and called him and said, You have little faith. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, Jesus and Peter, they, the wind died down. Peter started, don't miss this, with an eyes up perspective. But it wasn't sustained long enough for him to get to Jesus. What was it? What, what did Jesus save Peter from? The distractions. The scripture clearly says he got his eyes off Jesus and looked at the wind and the waves around him. So he was distracted by what was going on. He was focused eyes up. He was asked to come. He had heard him call. He began walking toward Jesus, but then he was distracted, and he took his eyes off everything else. How did Jesus react? Jesus does not say, as some people have a view of God, or Jesus, okay, you failed. I'm just going to make sure I push you as far down as you possibly can. Jesus reaches down and picks him up and pulls him up. And guess what happened from there? Probably one of the coolest things that Scripture doesn't say is that they walked back to the boat on top of the water together. I was just thinking about this. I have crazy thoughts sometimes as we were watching that clip from The Chosen. I hope when we get to heaven there's going to be like, you know, just a few thousand years where we just sit and watch the movie of this book. How cool would that be if the Lord said, okay, here's what we're going to do for the next 2,000 years. We got the screen out, and I'm going to show you how I did it. Well, I'm going to be popping that popcorn, man. i tell you what, that's going to be pretty cool to see, right? That's going to be amazing. I shouldn't talk about popcorn. I don't know if that's on the Daniel Fest or not. But here's what we see. What I just read, Jesus saved Peter. And, and here's what we understand. Not only did he save Peter, he saved all of them. Because when he got in the boat, everything changed. The winds died down. Peter started to drown when he moved his attention from an eyes up position to be distracted by everything else around him. And that's a lot like our illustration from a while ago. You, you kind of figured it out after just a few seconds of, of what we were trying to do. Or some of you were like, what in the world is going on in this place? We're not paying a light bill. But... Uh, that illustration is so much like how life is, right? Anybody have anything that comes in your line of sight? You know, like I had Pastor Kevin come down here and walk right across in front. Anything come in your line of sight that takes your eyes off Jesus? Anything? Absolutely. Like you're probably looking at me like, Pastor, how many things you want me to talk about? 
that come, come in my line. How much time you got, Pastor, for all the things that come in my life, that come in my line of sight? You know, one of the reasons I believe that the Lord laid this theme on my heart as far back as May of last year was because of what is gonna, what we're all going to walk through this year. I know we're all real excited about going through another election year. I'd rather just skip to 2025, whatever's going to happen, happen, because I just get tired of that. Anybody tired of it? You know, I'm just tired of it. So I just want to encourage you today, you know, whatever it is, if it's the election, if it's the news, if it's the rah-rah of the left or the right, if it's situations with people around you in your life or your family or your job, if it's this, whatever it is in your life, get your eyes up this year. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't be sucked in by all the distractions. Look at what the proverb says. It says, keep your eyes where? Straight ahead. Ignore all sideshow distractions. Okay. <laughs> We're going to have a lot of sideshows this year, right? It's an election year. Watch your step, and the road will stretch out smooth before you look neither Right nor left, leave evil in the dust. So I want to ask you, what are the things in your life, as, uh, as you guys send me in a keyboard player, what are the things in your life that are distracting you from putting Jesus first? Is there anything in your life that you need to remove completely or give less attention to? I'm going to ask that question again. Is there anything in your life that is distracting you from putting Jesus first? Is there anything in your life that you need to eliminate completely or, or give less attention to that will cause you to put your eyes on Jesus? As we go through this fast, that's a lot of like the question that Brad asked us last Wednesday night. What is it that's standing between you and us? God. So here's what we've learned. Jesus led them. Jesus saw them. He approached them. He spoke to them. He called them. He saved them. And here's, here's I mean, this just ends with a bang. Jesus showed them. Jesus showed them. What, what do you mean? Well, watch this. Verse 32 and 33. And when they climbed into the boat, Peter and Jesus, the wind died down. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. What did all of this show them? It showed them that Jesus was the Son of God. Now, I want you to follow me. If you read the scriptures up to here, I looked at it this week, they've seen miracles, they've seen the blind uh, see, they've seen the paralytic walk, they've seen demons be cast out of people. They just saw 5,000 be fed with five loaves and two fish. This is the first time that all the disciples together collectively say, truly, you are the Son of God. That, my friends, was a supernatural moment for them 
for their eyes to see that. Here's why. Because when you do a little research, you understand that every other time that someone declared Jesus was the Son of God, very unique situations, Gabriel, when he appears to Mary to tell her about the child that's coming, he says, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. That's the first time we hear it in Luke 1. So the good guys know he's the Son of God. But the bad guys, Casey, also know he's the Son of God. Because in Matthew chapter 4, when Satan appears to Jesus and tries to tempt him, he says, if you're the Son of God, make these stones bread. If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down. Here's something really interesting too, y'all. Multiple times in the Gospels when Jesus cast demons out of people or unclean spirits, the unclean spirits speak and say stuff like this. What do you want with us, Son of God? One unclean demonic spirit said, you are the Son of God. One said, what do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? was one though there, there was one disciple named Nathaniel mm. kind of crazy that Nathaniel got it right to begin with but Jesus walks up and when he calls Nathaniel you may, may remember that story in John chapter 1 he says I saw you when you were under the fig tree I saw you I saw what was going on man that goes along with what we're talking about this morning Jesus sees us and Nathaniel said rabbi you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. But collectively, this is the first time they all got it. Why would Jesus intentionally let his followers go through such a fearful situation? Look what happened when he saved them. You want to know why God allows you to go through difficult times? So that at the end of that situation, you will be like those disciples and worship him and say, truly, for me to walk through this valley, for me to have victory in this battle, you are the son of God. For me to get through this, there's no other thing. So what did Jesus show them in all of this? At the end of this incredible story, here are these men sitting in that boat now, slowly rocking back and forth. Now they're starting to head to the other side finally. And what are they saying? Truly, worship him. You are the son of God. Sometimes Jesus takes us through storms and trials and valleys and battles and the unknown. And he, he challenges us to walk out of our comfort zone so we will understand he's bigger than our worries and our fears and our doubts. So that on the other side of that situation, we can declare as the disciples did with an eyes up perspective, you are the son of God. And what happens is when we're when we come back together as, as the body and we begin to worship on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights or you're in your car and you're singing and, and giving or at your house giving God praise, something happens in our praise and our worship and our awareness. All of that and our all of God goes to another the level 
because of what he's brought us to and then what he's brought us through. Anybody here at 9 o'clock ever been brought to some things but only see God walk you through that thing? Anybody know what I'm talking about this morning? So I want to remind you as the worship team comes today that just like Jesus did for them, here they are, all of them on the screen. Jesus led them, he saw them, he approached them, he spoke to them, he called them, he saved them, and he showed them. And today, in your situation, he wants to do the same. What are you walking through today that he wants to show himself to you in a new way? Who's going through a storm? Who's walking through a valley? Who's going through a season right now who would say, Pastor, I needed this word today. I needed to hear that this is where I need to live. Eyes up, eyes up perspective that Jesus sees where I'm at and he's heading my way with a word for me. Amen. Let's stand together this morning. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for this time we've had together to worship you and unpack such an incredible story. And I pray today, Lord, that God, your word would find the hearts that it's intended for and it would bring the strength and the encouragement that it's needed, God, in every life, in every situation right now. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. If you're walking through a storm right now, if you're going through a valley right now, if you're in a battle right now, and you say, you know what, I need to make a public declaration that I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus. And pastor, will you pray for me for that? Would you come for prayer today? Anybody walking through a battle, anybody going through a situation right now, Anybody walking through a, a, a valley right now? Anybody need a need met in your life right now? And today, you come, and as you're walking up here, you're saying, all right, Lord, I'm coming today. Eyes up. I want my perspective to change today. I want my focus to be completely upon you as I go through this today. Come on, anybody else today? As you come, if you'll come as close as you can, as, as several more join us today. We're going to have prayer today. And as we do that today, this worship team is going to lead us in worship. If you're not up here praying with those who have come, if you want to come and stand behind someone and help me pray, I sure would appreciate that today. If you've got a friend, family member, somebody that you love up here today, that you'd like to come and stand with them, pray with them today. For the rest of us, as you stand out here, can we just worship the Lord today as the worship team leads us in this song today. Come on, let's sing together.
for that promise today. God, that you will never leave us, that you've gone before us, that as we heard today, in every situation, every storm, every valley, every battle, if we'll just look 
woke up, you're going to be there. And you're going to be there with words of hope and words of encouragement, Lord, to let us know that you are the Son of God, that you are in control, that nothing comes to us that hasn't come through you first. And Lord, we give you praise for that today. We thank you for the encouragement and the hope that has come over this house. And Lord, may we walk out of here, eyes up, with our perspective changed, Lord, knowing that he who promised is faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thank you for being in worship today. We hope to see you back here tomorrow night at 630 in the Life Center for prayer. Have a great afternoon.